If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 10 this morning. As we look at life in the Spirit part 2. Galatians chapter 6 verses 6 through 10. Life in the Spirit. If you found your place there, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows it to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, as we... Seek to apply your word to our lives. Open our hearts and our minds. Let us see, Lord, how these verses are to affect us. What in our own life needs to be changed that we may honor and glorify your name in this world. Lord, show us your word today. Speak to us, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever engaged in people watching? Just sat back and, and watched people? When we're up in Boston, that's, that's a, a favorite thing for me to do, especially when we're on the subway. You sit there on the subway and people come in and they go off and, and you see all these different types of people. And, and it's, it's interesting just to kind of sit back and watch people. And, and you, you, know, you can really tell a lot about people by uh, the way they're dressed, uh, what they say, and how they act. And so it's interesting to just kind of think as they, they get on the subway and you kind of think, oh, this person, uh, looking at him, seeing how he talks, sees what book he may have in his hand, oh, well, he, he must be a professor, or, or this, this person, she must be a student at one of the universities. And you start getting these ideas about people in your mind, and you, just, you really can learn a lot about a person by the way they act, the way they walk, the way they talk, the things that they do. You can learn a lot about people. You know, one of the greatest compliments I ever received was when a lady came up to me and said, she said, Are you a Christian? I said, Well, yes, ma'am. In fact, I'm, I'm a pastor. And she said, Well, I just knew it. There was just something about you that was different from everybody else here, and I just knew you were a Christian. I mean, that just made my day. Have you ever had that happen? Someone just recognized that you are a follower of Jesus Christ because of the way you act, the way you talked, the things that you, you do. You know, that should be common in our lives. People should be able to look at us and say, there's something different about that person. Because there is, if we have Jesus Christ, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we have His Spirit in us, then there is something different about us. 
And because of the work of the Spirit in us, we will act differently. We will do different things. We will talk different than the rest of the world. There's no question about it. It's a guarantee that Scripture tells us. And that's what we've been learning in, the, in these last couple of chapters in the book of Galatians. Paul tells us that life in the Spirit is, is marked by a difference. It's different from the rest of the world. And so we should look at our own lives and we should see something different. We should see different characteristics coming about in our lives. And so that's what we're looking at today and that's what Paul is getting at today. People should know we are Christians by how we live. Namely, people should know we are Christians by our goodness. By our goodness. And that's key in this passage, in this text of Galatians. And that's the meaning of our text today here in this paragraph. We're going to see this, that spirit-led Christians are radical in doing good to others. Spirit-led Christians are radical in doing good to others. And so we're going to see in this text three further imperatives uh, for spirit-led Christians. Last week we saw three imperatives in the, the the previous ver of the previous chapter, and now we're moving to this chapter, and we're going to see three more imperatives for those who are walking by the Spirit. And so, my hope and my desire today is, as you look at these imperatives, as you consider these imperatives, that that you would make it a, a striving in your life, a goal in your life, to see these characteristics coming out in your own walk with the Lord. So let me just kind of give you a review before we get into our text. You remember Galatians itself, Paul's goal in Galatians is to teach us that justification is by faith alone. There's apart from works, justification, our salvation, our right standing before God. It's not due to our works. It's not due to what we do. It's not due to these characteristics that we see here. Our justification is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Our righteousness before God is based upon what Christ did, not what we do. And so, but we also see as we continue in Galatians that the, the justified life is also a spirit-led life. Because when we come, become justified by faith, when we trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus sends His Holy Spirit to indwell us and to live in us. And the Holy Spirit then begins to transform us from within. So it's not that we are justified by our works, but as the Spirit works within us, our works become uh, God-centered. They become godly because we begin to pursue different pursuits. Our desires are changed. Our, our wants are, are changed. And so we want different things. And so we begin to, to grow in the Spirit and we begin to work, do works of the Spirit and produce the fruit of the Spirit, as we saw a few weeks back. And so, last week we saw that this life in the Spirit is, is characterized by uh, those who restore the broken. Those who walk by the Spirit, they restore the broken. They bear one another's burdens. They engage in self-evaluation as they, they long to, to do the things of the Lord. And now this week, we continue that thought and look at these three imperatives for the Spirit-led life. 
And as we get into our, today's text, we see the first imperative is this. Because you are led by the Spirit, dear Christian, share in the gospel ministry. Share in the gospel ministry. Now, we are in the midst of football season, and I think both of our teams got, got let down. They let us down yesterday, right? Uh, Arkansas and LSU both both lost those games, but, but we are in the midst of football, and we, most of us here, a lot of us here, we like to watch a little football from time to time, and we appreciate the sport. But you know, football is a team sport. It's a team sport. Now, the, the quarterback, he's an important member of the team. He's, he's kind of a leader that, that sits back there, and he, he leads the offense to, to charge the field and to, to score the points. But the, the, the quarterback can't do it all on his own. You can have the best quarterback the world has to offer, but if he doesn't have linemen there doing their job and, and keeping the, the defense off of him, he can't make a play. He's got to have backs and, and receivers out there to, to receive the ball when he hands it off to them or he passes it to them. Football is a team sport, and it takes every person on the team doing their job, cooperating together, sharing the burden together to have success. But you know that's true in the gospel ministry. That's true in the life of the church. One person isn't charged with doing the ministry of the gospel, but we share in the ministry. We share in the gospel ministry. It takes a mutual sharing between the people and the congregation, the pastor, and, and all of the folks to, to make the gospel ministry succeed. And that's what we see in our text here, that first line there. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches there's a mutual sharing that must take place now what's taking place here in Galatia we can only imagine what's happening here Paul doesn't tell us specifically but why is he giving us this verse well we know from the past from our past study that one of the big the big problem there in Galatia were these false teachers who came in and they began to teach this false gospel that justification was by faith plus works and so now they're spreading this false gospel throughout the churches of Galatia. Well, you can imagine what may be taking place there. We don't have to think too hard about what's probably taking place there with Paul having this verse there. Most likely, those pastors that Paul had set up when he went and established these churches, because that was his pattern, he would go through and he would establish, plant new churches, and before he left, he would put leaders in place, pastors in place to, to continue the ministry there in that local church. And so most likely what has happened was those leaders that Paul has left to pastor these churches, well now these false teachers have come in. And so the churches are no longer, they're, they're stopping their support of these pastors and, and they're starting to give their support over here to these false teachers. And so Paul is coming in and he says, now uh, those who are taught the gospel, they, they, should be, they should be sharing all good things with those who teach the gospel. And so he's bringing them back. Here's your purpose. Your purpose is to advance the gospel. And, and so those who, there's a mutual sharing that takes place so that the gospel can advance. And we see two, uh, two aspects of that here in this text, in this passage. First of all, we see that teachers must teach. 
Teachers must teach. That's what he's talking about. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. There's someone who is teaching the word of God. And that's what the word there is. It's the word of God. It's the gospel. And so there are teachers in the church. There's preachers. That's my primary position in this church. I'm a preacher, a teacher of the gospel. And that's my main calling in the life of the church. In fact, you you go back to Acts chapter 6, and you see that given as a priority for pastors. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, we see now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows, the Hellenist widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples. They, They assembled the whole church. And said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. A pastor's primary responsibility in the life of the church is, is prayer and the ministry of the Word. That's my primary duty. Now, there are other duties that I must do. I've got to visit the sick and and do those types of things. But my primary, my first duty, is to preach the Word of God. And so, for myself, my day looks like this. First thing in the morning, the first part of my day is given to study and preparation. Because that's my primary responsibility. So that takes the the primary portion of my day. I want to study. I want to prepare sermons and prepare Bible studies that I have to give throughout the week. And so I devote my first part of the day to that. And then in the afternoon, that's when I begin to go out and, and visit and counsel and mentor. All of those things take place on the second half of my day, the second portion of my day. So I give that priority to the preaching and teaching of the Word. And I want to make sure that I always do that. And you can keep me accountable to that. If I ever grow lazy in my preaching and teaching, then you come and tell me, hey, you need to change. You need to do something here. You need to keep me on my toes. I want you to keep me accountable in that. And so it is my responsibility and Jason's responsibility to to preach and teach. And so that's the task given to us. But then you have a duty as well. It says that those who are taught must then support. Those who are taught support. Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4 says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. Now what is that talking about? When uh, when the ox is there treading out the grain, uh, they're saying don't muzzle him, don't, don't keep him from partaking of the grain because the idea, the principle there is that this ox, this, bur- this animal of, of burden, he should be able to partake of the harvest which he is helping to tread out and to harvest. And, but Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9, and then again in 1 Timothy 5, 18, that this is not concerning ox. The point that God is getting at in giving this this commandment in the Old Testament is that those who prepare the word, those who teach in the church, those are they have a they, they should be able to partake of the harvest. As they are preaching, they should be supported and provided for. 
Jesus puts it like this in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, as he sends out his disciples to, to labor in the fields with the gospel ministry. He says, the laborer deserves his wages. And so it is your responsibility as those who are taught to support the work of the ministry, not just me, not just me, but me and Jason and, and Larry, and you, you support to keep the lights on here, you support to, to help us do other ministry outside the church. And so as you tithe, as you give of your tithes and offerings to the church, you help do that. And that is part of your responsibility. Because you want to see the gospel continue to expand. You want to see the kingdom advance. And that's our mission as a church, to love God, love one another, and love our world through the advancement of the gospel. And so as we teach and carry out our responsibility of teaching God's word, preaching the gospel, then it is your responsibility as those who are taught to help support that ministry. And as you do that, as you're faithful in that, then Scripture tells us that the world sees, they see God in you. They see God in you. As you say, this is something important that I need to support financially, they understand that you are a Christian. They understand your priorities in seeing the world advance. You want to see what someone worships? Look at two things, what they spend time on and what they spend their money on. You look at their time, their calendar, and their checkbook, you can see what a person really, truly worships. What are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? Are you faithfully giving to the ministry of the church? Now let me just commend the church because as we looked at last week, last Sunday night, if you weren't there, you missed this, but, but this church is a very giving church. So that means that we have a lot of people doing this. They are sharing in the gospel ministry, and I appreciate that, and I thank you for that. But as we, we look at this and we, we think, how does this then apply? We, we want to see here that we accomplish more when we share in the gospel ministry. We accomplish more when we share in the gospel ministry. Me, as your pastor, this means for me, I, I must be faithful at the task of preaching and teaching and leading and in prayer. That's my task that has been given me by God. And for you, that means to be faithful in, in tithing both. And I would even say, and I'm going to throw this in there, but I would even say of your, your money and your time, giving it to the church for the pursuit of the gospel and the, the furtherance, the advancement of the gospel. So be faithful in your support of the gospel ministry. Okay, so because you are led by the Spirit, share in the gospel ministry. Second, because you are led by the Spirit, practice personal holiness. Practice personal holiness. We see here in, in this text a, a universal principle. You reap what you sow. We've all heard that before. You reap what you sow. In the, the movie Secondhand Lions, you have there this young boy, Walter, who's sent to live with his cranky old great uncles, Hub and, and Garth. Hub and Garth, they're, they're two old brothers, they're, they're retired, they've, they've spent a life in all kinds of adventures, and now they're retired, they're, they're living out in the country, and their favorite pastime is running off traveling salesmen. I mean, they love to just, just run them off. They'll, they'll bring out their shotguns and sit out there on the front porch waiting for them to come. 
because they're ready to run them off. Well, then here comes Walter. Little Walter comes, and now they've got to entertain Walter. They don't have TV. They don't have any of those types of things, nothing that a little boy would be into. So how are we going to entertain Walter? How are we going to invest in him? And so then they begin to entertain some of those salesmen as they come by in a pursuit to find something to keep Walter busy. And so they decide, well, here's what we'll do. We'll plant a garden. And so one of the salesmen come through with seeds, and he's selling seed. And so they, they buy all of this seed from this seed salesman. They buy corn. They buy cabbage. They buy carrots. They buy all kinds of seed from this seed salesman. And, and they go, and they, they get their overhauls. As old Jerry Clower used to say, they put on the overhauls, and, and they, they grab their big old farmer's hat, and, and every morning at just the right time, they, they go get on the overhauls and their big farmer's hat and they go off to the garden, all three of them in a row, walking out to the garden. they got to work their garden. And so they go out to the garden and they plant all of this seed. They lay it all out in just perfect rows. And, and they've got, at the end of each row, they've got, got a stake with the package of the seed package on the end so they'll know what, what's on each row in their garden. And so they go out day after day after day, and they're working this garden, working it, working it, working it. They cultivate it. They, they weed it. They water it. They do all the work for this garden. And then one day, as the, the plants are getting up about knee-high, oh, hub, he steps back. He's admiring his garden. And all of a sudden, you see that look of pride become confused. He begins to look, and he steps over to this row. He says, Garth, what's planted on this row? Garth walks to the other end of the row and he looks at the, the seed package staked there in front of the row and he says, well, well, that's corn. All right. He steps over to this row. Well, well what's planted on this, this, this row here? He's, he goes to the end of the, the road and he says, uh, well, this is it's cabbage. And he says, well, all right. Well, what's, what's planted on this row? Well, well this row, this is, this is carrots. And then as the camera pans the garden, it's all corn. Every bit of it's corn. They've been taken by the seed salesman. The wool has been pulled over their eyes. He had sold them all of these different kinds of seed or different packages of seed, but all of it was corn. And so they reaped what they sowed. They sowed corn and they reaped corn. Even though they got duped by the salesman, they reaped what they sowed. Well, that's the general principle that we see at play here that Paul is reminding us here. He's there, it's there in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You can't pull the wool over God's eyes. You, you can't come to church and put on your, your robes of churchliness. You can't throw on your overhauls and act like a farmer. God knows your heart. He knows your heart. You cannot pull the wool over God's eyes. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And he goes on here and he tells us, For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. We have to see here that sowing to the flesh produces eternal corruption. Sowing to the flesh produces eternal corruption. That's what he's getting at here. If you go out day after day and you sow to the flesh, what are you demonstrating? You're demonstrating that you don't have the Spirit of God living in you. You don't have the Spirit in you. 
If the Spirit was in you, He would be changing those desires. Oh, you still have your stumbles, you still have your sins, but, but if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit is going to change that. And so Paul says, if you're, if you're sowing to the flesh, if that's the, the product of your life is to the flesh, to the flesh, to the flesh, then guess what? What are you going to reap? Ultimately, you're going to reap corruption. That word corruption there, it, it brings this idea of death and decay. Have in mind here a decaying body. And that's what he says, sowing to the flesh. Giving your life to the flesh ultimately leads to eternal death, eternal corruption. It ends in eternity of hell. But then we see, on the other hand, that sowing to the Spirit produces eternal life. Sowing to the Spirit produces eternal life. Notice what he says, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If we, if we sow to the Spirit, if we do those things, produce the, the fruit of the Spirit talked about in the, former, in the previous chapter, then that is evidence that God is in us. That the Holy Spirit is in us. He's working in us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And let me just remind you the fruit of the Spirit. Go back, look over there at the other page in chapter 5, verse 19. Let's look at the fruit uh, or the work of the flesh first. Now the work of the flesh is evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Those are the works of the Spirit, but here are the fruit of the, flesh, or fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. That's the, the fruit that the Spirit working from within us is going to produce in our lives. And if we're not seeing that produced in our lives, we've got to back up and say, uh, something's not right here. Something's not right here. We've got to give our lives to Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you, dear friend, if you're here and, and you come and you might, you might live and you might try to do those things that, that say, say, do those things, the, produce those fruits of the Spirit. You, you may try to produce some kind of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You might try to do some of those things. You might, on the outside, externally, try to, to produce some sort of life that looks somewhat moral. Right? It's possible for a sinner to live a somewhat moral life but you will not produce the fruit of the spirit from within flowing outward if the spirit's not in there if he's not working in you in other words you cannot produce the fruit of the spirit if you haven't trusted in jesus christ you might produce some kind of outward sense of morality, but you'll never produce the fruit of eternal life, the fruit of the Spirit that leads to eternal life, unless the Spirit of God indwells you. And the only way the Spirit of God indwells you is by trusting in Jesus. That He died for your sins. You've got to give your life to Jesus. 
Otherwise, there's no hope for producing fruit of the Spirit. There's no hope of eternal life. Ultimately, you will only produce fruit of the, the works of the flesh, which will then lead to eternal corruption. Are you trusting in Jesus today? Now, for Christians, those who have the Spirit living within us, those who, who have that working within us, we can then cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in us. We, ha- we must practice personal holiness. As we see the Spirit working in us to produce its fruit, our task then is to daily crucify the flesh. Because the flesh is still there saying, I want this, I want that, I want this other thing. And so Jesus says you have to daily get up and crucify the flesh. Put it up on the cross, die to the flesh. Cultivate that fruit of the Spirit so that we can see it grow more and more in our lives. You can't do it without the Spirit working in you. But as the Spirit works in us, we must crucify the flesh and cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. We have to practice personal holiness. We have to practice personal holiness. The old adage we see here is true. Sow a thought and reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. Dear friend, what are you sowing? What are you sowing? What you're sowing today will ultimately lead to an eternal destiny. You're sowing to the flesh. Turn away today. Trust in Jesus and He'll produce in you fruit of the Spirit. If the the Spirit is in you, continue to cultivate that fruit. Giving more and more control over to the Spirit so that you may see more and more fruit produced in your life. So, As Spirit-led followers of Jesus Christ, we must share in the Gospel ministry. We must practice personal holiness. And third, we must persevere in goodness. We must persevere in goodness. Uh, we're in the, well, at the end of harvest season. In fact, most of the crops I know have, have been harvested uh, Driving down the road the other day, I see a few cotton fields still out there, still waiting to be harvested, but most everything has been harvested at this point. We live in a farming community. Now, I used to kid, I had a friend of mine who is a farmer, I used to kid with him, man, you farmers, y'all got it made, y'all only work like six months out of the year, and the rest of the year, y'all just go hunting. Of course, he would just come back at me, well, you preachers have it made too, because y'all just work two days a week, Wednesday and Sunday, right? But really, farmers, man, they work hard. I wouldn't want to be a farmer. Because, yeah, there's always something to do on a farm, but the biggest part of their work is is between springtime when you set out the seed and harvest time in in the fall. And man, when when it comes time to plant seed, that's when they get busy, and they are busy from daylight until dawn until harvest time. They work hard. 
And now with these big old lights, it's before daylight and well after dawn. I mean, they, they work from before daylight to way after dark. They're out there, they're, they're sowing, they're cultivating, they're weeding, they're fertilizing, they're doing all of this. They're working hard day in and day out, over and over again, seven days a week. There's no stop while it's growing season. But you know, when they go out and they work hard on that first day of planting season and they start planting that seed, they're not looking for a reward at the end of the week. No, no, they're, they're, they're looking at months and months of hard, hard work only to be promised, only in prayerful hopes of a great harvest in the fall. You see, they, they have to know the principle of delayed return or delayed gratification because they begin work in the spring. They work hard with no return until harvest time comes. You know, Paul is telling us here that, tells us here in this text that that's really the way it is in the Christian life. Christian life is much like farming. The Christian life, you have to persevere in goodness knowing that tomorrow you're not going to get your reward. Notice what he says there in verse 10. So then, oh no, let me back up 9, verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Notice what he says there. And let us not grow weary of doing good. What's Paul saying there? He's saying that, that the Christian life, it's hard work. Producing this, work, this fruit of the Spirit, it's hard work. It's hard work. It's not easy. You don't grow weary in it. That means there's a chance of growing weary in it. Let us not grow weary. It's hard. It's difficult to do good. It is very difficult to do good. Oh, it's easy to do good to those who do good back to you. But that's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture says that we should love our enemies, not just those who love us back. We should do good to our enemies, not just those who do good to us. It's hard work. It takes time. It takes dedication. And you cannot grow weary in it. As we, we strive to produce the fruit of the, the Spirit, we have to, there's struggle there. There's a struggle against our own flesh. Because our, our own flesh doesn't want to, to experience that love, joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The flesh wants to, to lose control and just give in to those fleshly desires. And so we have to, to fight against and struggle against our own flesh. And then we have to struggle against the world. The world is against us. The world doesn't, they don't understand Christianity. We are oddballs to the world. They don't understand it. They don't appreciate Christian values. And we see that more and more even in American culture that, that Christianity is, is not appreciated. And so we struggle against the world if we're going to continue to be different in the world. Then we've got to, to accept those differences. Display those differences. We can't just blend in and hope nobody notices us. But we've got to live out our Christian faith day in and day out in a world that is not approving of our, our, our doctrine. 
not approving, not proven, uh, does not approve of and accept the way we live, our morality. We struggle against the flesh. We struggle against the world. This Christian life is hard work. But Paul says we have to persevere. We have to persevere in goodness. Not grow weary. It's hard work, but, but then he goes on to show us that it's hard work with a glorious reward. It's hard work with a glorious reward for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Primarily, Paul is looking for uh, the most glorious reward of all. That reward that we will receive when we stand before God in heaven. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. See, it's in God's kingdom after this life is over, when we step into His eternal kingdom, that we will reap the ultimate reward of our labors for Him. William Carey. William Carey is the father, father of modern missions, considered the father of modern missions. He went to India in 19, uh, or excuse me, 1793 with a burden to, to preach the gospel to those in India who have never heard the gospel. At that point, they had never heard the gospel. And so William Carey goes in 1793 to take the gospel to this lost nation and, and, and to, to give them the light of Jesus Christ. And for seven long years, for seven long years, William Carey preaches the gospel day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, laboring in the fields for the ministry of the gospel and never seeing a convert. He wrote to his sisters and said, I feel as a farmer does about his crops. Sometimes I think the seed is, is springing, and thus I hope a little blast all, and my hopes are gone like a cloud. They were only weeds which appeared, or if a little corn sprung up, it quickly dies, being either choked by, with weeds or parched by the sun of persecution. Yet I still hope in God and will go forth in His strength and make mention of His righteousness, even of His only. After seven long years of fighting depression, of fighting discouragement, William Carey finally, in December 28, on December 28, 1800, he baptized his first convert there in the Gangs River. In India. Seven years he labored, seven long years preaching the gospel, seeing a hope spring up here only to be crushed by persecution, seeing a hope spring up here only, be, and only to find out it was really just weeds. But after seven long years, he finally reaped a harvest and he continued to labor for the rest of his life taking the gospel to the lost of India. And you know what? That wasn't his greatest reward. Not even that. All the converts that he saw in India, even all of that wasn't his greatest reward. His greatest reward 
was when he stepped out of this life and stepped in eternity and he faced his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter my rest. Oh dear Christian, we must persevere in goodness. And it's going to be hard. It is hard. When our, our loved ones, that, that loved one who is hard to love, just, just refuses our love, we must persevere in loving and caring for that person. When our neighbor looks at when your neighbor looks at you and says to you, I don't need your religion, it's going to be hard, but you must persevere in prayer to that person. Continuing to share the light of, of Christ every chance that you get. When the people of this world take advantage of your goodness and your kindness, it's going to be hard to continue, but you must persevere in goodness for the glory of your King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, dear friend, persevere in goodness. Persevere in goodness, even when it's hard. Persevere in goodness. Looking forward to that day when Christ Jesus, your Lord, will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter my rest. And so today we end where we began. Spirit-led Christians are radical in doing good to others. Dear friend, if you're here, I want you to know this. You are radical in doing good to others when you share in the Gospel ministry. Doing all that you possibly can to, to see the advancement of the Gospel and the advancement of God's kingdom in the, the community in which He has given us to minister. You are radical in doing good when you practice personal holiness, not living according to the flesh as the world does, but instead producing the fruit of the Spirit, showing the, the work of Christ in your life. You are radical in doing good when you persevere in goodness, even when it's hard. Even when it's hard, looking to your eternal reward in your Father's kingdom. Dear friend, be radical in doing good. Let the world know that you are a Christian by your love and your goodness. Some today, you come and, and perhaps you even came here looking for answers, knowing that, that the road that you're on is not leading where you want it to go, knowing that the road that you're on is leading to a destiny that is not good. And you come here searching. I want you to know you will never be good enough by your own power. You will never accomplish enough good on your own. You can't because you are a sinner. You are corrupt to the core, Scripture tells us. Just like the rest of us. The only hope that you have is to trust in Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. And He will work in you. He will, number one, He will give you eternal life because He purchased it for you on Calvary's cross. Dying in your place for your sin he purchased your pardon. He purchased your forgiveness so that you might have eternal life in Him. 
And when you trust in Him, He says He's going to move in. The Holy Spirit is going to move into your heart and He's going to transform your life. And you're going to begin to live a new life. A life not consumed by the, the works of the flesh, but a life that's going to grow in the Spirit and begin to produce that fruit of the Spirit. You're going to see a change in your life. But only if you give your life to Jesus. Will you trust in Him today? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for the promise that You give to us. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we have a hope of eternal life in Him. And Lord, You don't just leave us with that, but Lord, You even now begin to work in us, producing fruit that we see is, is headed towards heaven. Fruit that, that is in line with Your own character. So Lord, we thank You for that assurance. Lord, may we, as Christians, may the striving of our life be to crucify those old fleshly desires and cultivate Your work in our lives. To give in more and more to, to Your will. To give in more and more to Your direction in our lives so that we would see more and more the produce of Your Spirit in us. But Lord, certainly there are here those here who they're not seeing that fruit. And they know that fruit is not evident in their lives. Lord, my prayer for them today is that they would turn to Jesus and trust in Jesus. Give themselves over to Him. Give themselves over to Your power, to Your Spirit, so that You may transform them and make them a child of Your kingdom. Lord, come now. Work in our hearts. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.